The Holy Gospel according to John, chapter 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how are your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and he said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not observe the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner performed such signs, and they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And yet, and where he comes from, the man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. 
But he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we're not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were listening last week, I mentioned that though it is officially the year of Matthew, for four weeks in a row now during this Lenten season, it is John's gospel, not Matthew's, which is our guide. John, as it turns out, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, actually doesn't get a year of his own, but rather he kind of pops in here and there in the years of Matthew, Mark, and Luke to supplement their telling of Jesus' story in his own way, which is a unique way because one, many of the stories John tells in his gospel are unique only to his gospel. John is the only one who tells them. Two, John is unique in the way many of the stories he tells are long. But in the length there are details, and in the details there is depth, and in the depth there is truth, and with the truth, oh, in John, ever and always with the truth, there is grace. Grace which makes an immediate, albeit somewhat subtle, entrance in the very first verse of this week's story, where we read that as Jesus walked, there was a blind man from birth, and here comes grace, and Jesus saw him. Sometimes, surely, grace is what grace does when others don't, but for, in order for grace to be what it does when others don't, grace must often first be what it sees when others don't. And so that word, of grace, there is a man blind from birth, sitting beside the path, and oh so familiar with others acting blind as they pass him by. But Jesus isn't blind to the man. He sees him, and oh, here comes grace part two. He sees him, and he stops. Sometimes for grace to do what grace will do, grace must first stop doing what it has been doing which Jesus does. At which point, not first of all Jesus, but his disciples 
speak, and with their words, grace is crowded to the side for a moment. Rabbi, they asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Yep, not grace, judgment. Judgment birthed in the arms of the assumption that there is a reason that bad things happen to people, and the reason is that people do bad things to deserve them. For, I mean, surely in God's world, bad things don't happen to good people. In God's world, bad things happen to people who've done something bad and got what they deserved. Ah, yes, an old favorite, blaming the victim. Ralph Jacobson at Luther Seminary helps lead a, a weekly text study podcast that I routinely listen to. Um, he teaches from a wheelchair. As a child, he had both of his legs amputated because of cancer. He said this week that his mother was asked, and not just once, if she felt guilty about the fact that if she had fed her son more nutritiously, he wouldn't have gotten cancer. Judgingly blaming the victim, you understand, accomplishes two things for the one doing the judging. Number one, it keeps her in control of her world, as in bad things won't happen to me because she's not bad, she's good. And two, it absolves her from any responsibility to do anything other than to judge because, well, it's not my fault. Let's be clear, sometimes bad things do happen because we did something which led to it, but it's not a rule. A woman died of lung cancer. Her family was always, I mean almost immediately, would point out that unlike most lung cancer victims, she had never smoked. They didn't want people to blame their mom for her illness and then her death. It is comforting not so much to sufferers, but to others when they can find some reason for people are suffering. But not all those, those who smoke get lung cancer. And not everyone with lung cancer smoked. And Jesus, in his response to the assumptive judgmentalism of his disciples, speaks truth by judging the judgment. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Now, in both English and Greek here, there is one thing absolutely clear. This man is suffering and it's not because he or anyone sinned, so stop judging the victim. In English, but not Greek, however, there's also something a tiny bit unclear in that next part. He was born blind, Jesus says in the NRSV translation, so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. The unclear thing in English, as you can almost kind of read that to say, aha, I do know the reason for this man's suffering. 30 years ago, before he was born, God said, I'm going to make him be born blind, and then 30 years from now, I'll send Jesus to heal him, and won't that be cool? Interpreting that verse and that man's suffering that way, 
allows people to make the second most common, unhelpful, blanket assumption and comment that is often made and offered about other people's suffering. That being that the suffering of others is, wait for it, the will of God. Well, okay then, there's nothing for me here. This is a God thing. I'm gonna get, not going to get into the weeds of the original Greek text with you, but multiple Greek scholars whom I respect say that clearly, clearly, absolutely clearly that is not what this verse says. In fact, the English translation of this verse given in the NRSV, multiple scholars I read this week say is awful. For starters, because it literally adds one phrase that literally isn't even there in the Greek. And then two, it adds punctuation, which if it were added someplace else, would make it read entirely differently. Here's how scholars I respect tell me this verse should be translated so that the English is in accord with the Greek. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. In order that God's works might be revealed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me. Do you hear the difference? Jesus does not hear this, see this man's suffering as time to explain why people in God's world suffer. He sees the man's suffering as an opportunity to do the work of God, the will of God for this man who is suffering. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. In order that God's works might be revealed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me. Sisters and brothers, coronavirus. I do want doctors and scientists and researchers to do all the good work and the God work that is theirs to do to answer every why they can about this virus. And God bless them as they do. But we're the church. And God blesses us for another purpose. And that is to see and to seize right now the opportunity that is ours to do the work of God that is ours to do. The work that grace calls us to do, the work that love can't do because we have neighbors who are suffering. Some from the virus, many, many more from fear of the virus, others from economic anxiety, others from supply side anxiety, others from loneliness. Many blame the suffering. Others explain it away, and by away I mean uh, away from anything that concerns them. Others don't even notice, or at least do a pretty good job of pretending not to notice. Jesus sees and finds those are suffering. He sees you, and he's with you if, if right now you're suffering or, or anxious or worried or afraid or lonely. Jesus sees the suffering and he finds the suffering and he sees in the suffering not an opportunity to blame or fear 
or explain away. He sees in the suffering of all who suffer an opportunity to stop and to love, and in loving, to heal. What do you say? What do you see? What, because you call Jesus Lord, will you stop and do, or up and do? Because you know what? Because this thing right now the whole world is dealing with isn't a threat to Christ's church. It's a calling, an opportunity to find every best way we can to be Christ's church for one another and for the world. Well, I told Deacon Pam and my wife too that I thought this particular setting I should preach a little bit of a shorter sermon. Uh, uh, and here I am, 12 or 14 minutes in, and John 9 is 41 verses long, and I have just gotten through verse 4. You know what? So be it. Um, we're going to leave it at that, except for one more thing. One more thing, Pam. Come on. <laughs> As the story plays out, the man finds himself not anymore judged for his blindness, but rather just judged for his witness and his faith, finally, in Jesus, the healer of the blindness. And he is expelled from his religious community, for they find Jesus, rightly, I should point out, to be a threat to many graceless religious convictions they hold dear. When he is expelled from the community, Jesus comes and finds him again. And he heals him again, not now of his blindness, but of his isolation, as he welcomes him into a relationship with him that nothing and no one can tear him from, not now and not ever. He makes that promise clearest when this scene actually continues. It's not even just John 9, 1 to 41. This same scene actually continues and spills over into John 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me and no one ever and nothing ever will tear them from mine and my Father's hands. The psalm for today, Psalm 23, as I hear it, is a snapshot of the heart of one who knows the precious gift of being one of the shepherd's sheep and living not in fear but in faith for the shepherd in life and even in death will ever hold me as his own. I want to finish the sermon by hearing that psalm one more time. You're welcome to join me if you like. However, forgive me if you must that my favorite way to say it is the older translation of those who've gone before me and taught it to me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 